Paul the Apostle by the Holy Spirit is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, be strong in the Lord and power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So you don't want to just have a couple of the pieces on. You want the whole armor on. And it's God's armor. Belongs to him. And it's amazing. I say these things over and over again. And I still had some people... Uh, asked me last week, they said, how do you get the armor of God? So let's, let's, let's see if anybody remembers. How do you have the armor of God available to you? How, how do you have it? Karen, do you know? Okay, you answered my second question. You're ahead of me. That's fine. That's a good, good answer. My first question is, how is it available to you? Yes, just by receiving Jesus, by getting born again. That armor that we're going to read about is available to you. Now, how is it available to you? Simply by what? No, no. How does it become available to you? Believing on Jesus. Let's put it another way. How do you get the armor hung in your closet? By getting saved. Now, did you all get that? Can, can I make it any more clear than that? How does a, how does a, how does a person... Have God's armor available to them. How is it available to you? By becoming a born again. Just by receiving Jesus. He hangs it in your closet. Okay? Now, we'll go to Karen's answer. How do you get the armor out of your closet? You need to work on this sound a little bit. It's, it's, I don't know what's going on. Was the devil attacking our sound today? It was much worse before. Okay. Let's move on. That's a difficulty. You know, I guess there are some sound and video demons. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Now, one preacher kept casting out a nicotine devil years ago. I don't know if there's nicotine devils either. But if you don't know me, I'm trying to be a little funny with you. Did you think that was funny? Okay. So let's do this again. I'm a teacher. We're going to go over till we get it. How do you get... Now, this is not Karen's answer. How do you get the armor available to you? By believing on Jesus, okay? That's how you get it hung in the closet. How do you get it out of the closet and on, Karen? Exactly. That's how you get it out of the... You just wanted to answer the other question that I... I know, that's right. You're a great student, though. So you get it hung in your closet. You get it hung in your closet by receiving Jesus. Dale, did you get that? Okay, Barry, I sell, if you're visiting, I seldom call on people like this, but I want, I want you to get this. Because if you don't get it, you're going to be like that guy that just got shot up there. You get the armor by receiving Jesus. How do you get it out of the closet and on? Here's how you do it. You understand what each piece is, and you walk in the revelation of that piece. You walk in the knowledge that you have of that piece. Did you get that? Now, do you have that? Did you know that most Christians that I've met over the last 30 some odd years, if you ask them about the armor of God, they, they, they might have heard about it, but they couldn't tell you much about it. Did you get what I just said? They might have heard, yeah, I heard something that there is some armor of God. But you see, if a person, if a Christian doesn't know what each piece is and how it operates... What did they just tell you? They told you they've got the armor hanging in their closet, but they don't have it on, okay? 
So I, I don't want you to just have the armor hanging in your closet. I want you to have it on. How do you get it on? You get it on by understanding what each piece is and by walking in the knowledge of that piece. Are, are you okay? So he says here, back to verse 11, Ephesians six eleven. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, is there a devil out there? Yeah. Now, Jesus defeated the devil completely and totally through his death, burial, and resurrection. Is that correct? And we've shown you that Jesus put the devil where? Under our feet. And remember, you don't go running around looking for the devil. You run with God. Once in a while, the devil will show up and he'll present a battle to you. In other words, he'll try to get out from underneath your feet where Jesus put him. But when he does... With this armor as an occupying force, you just you just keep him you keep him under your feet. We're going to talk about that today a little bit with the with the sword of the spirit. And remember, where main Jesus crushed him, put him under our feet. And what do we do? We maintain the crush. You understand that? All right. There's too many Christians letting the devil run roughshod over him. No, Jesus put him under your feet. We're an occupying force. And we, as that occupying force, we keep the devil under our feet. When he does try to rear his ugly head, we just, you know, we'll show you here in a moment. Keep, you just take the sword of the spirit, whack him on the head. He'll go right back under your feet and you maintain the what? Maintain the crush. Okay. If you don't know what maintain the crush is, go back on the internet. You can find out. I talked for several minutes about that in one of the uh, former sessions. Okay. Now, look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So our wrestling match, and remember we taught you about the wrestling matches in the Roman world were not fake like what you see on television. They were real and they were brutal and gruesome. But here it says, the Bible says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So we're not wrestling against one another, against other people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there is a struggle between us and the devil. Is that correct? There, there is a struggle. You understand that. And because of that, verse 13, he says, therefore, take up or put on the whole armor of God. We just talked about that. That you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Now I don't know, I, I don't know that we have the picture of the soldier today, but remember Paul likened the uh, armor of God to the armor that a Roman soldier wore, okay? And we went through that with you and notice the first piece of, of armory is the loin belt of truth. Okay, remember that? The loin belt of truth. That's the first piece of armory is the loin belt of truth. And Paul says here, having girded your waist with truth. Now, does anybody understand? remember, does anybody remember what the loin belt of truth was? It was the what? The written word of God, the Bible. It's the only piece of armory that has come from the spiritual realm into the natural realm that we're able to hold and look at and read and so forth. It's the word of God, the written word of God. That's the loin belt of truth. And that loin belt went around the soldier's waist. And we taught you that all the other pieces of armory hinged on that loin belt. 
And, uh, of course, the Word of God, the written Word of God is the loin belt. The Word is truth, you see. And all the other pieces that we have studied hinge on, hang on, the written Word of God. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, "...having put on the breastplate of righteousness." And we taught you about that. "...and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace." And we taught you about that. It's all on the internet. "...above all," remember, doesn't mean, in the Greek it doesn't mean above all, it means in addition to. Because if, if you don't understand that, then you'd think what comes after was more important than what we just read. And in the Greek it doesn't say above all, it says in addition to. Because you, you have to realize the most important piece of weaponry was what? It was the loin belt of truth or the what? The written word of God, you see. Genesis to Revelation, okay? And then, so in addition, verse 16, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We taught you what the shield of faith was. And we went through that. Remember, there were how many shields did a soldier have? You remember? Two. One was for ceremony and one was for battle. And too many Christians, the reason that they get taken out by the devil is because they're going into the battle with a ceremonial shield of faith instead of the battle shield. The Bible talks about the, the, the fact that there is a, there's a fake faith. There's something that looks like faith, but it's really not. Just like there's something that looks like love, but it's really not. The Bible talks about a fake love and a real love. A fake faith and a real faith. Too many Christians going into battle with the devil with the fake shield of faith. Ceremonial shield. When you go to fight the devil... You know, when he rears his ugly head, you don't want to have that ceremonial shield. You want to have the battle shield. Is that right? And we we taught you a whole lesson on that. It's on the internet, okay? And then, and we talked about the fiery darts. And remember, here's three kinds of arrows. And one was just razor tips, like razor tips, you know. I wouldn't want to get hit with that one, would you? But then there was one that, that, another arrow was flaming. It had fire on it. And then there was a third kind of arrow that when it would hit the enemy, it would, it would explode. And remember what the soldier did with his battle shield? It was made out of that animal skin. And remember, what did he do with that before he went into battle? He soaked it in, in water, didn't he? So our battle shield needs to be, we need to immerse ourselves in water, in the Word of God. Is that right? There's a, water is, is a type of the Word of God. So, so we went through all that with you. You see, if you don't know about the, uh, if you don't know just the simple things that I've been talking about just in the last 10 minutes, if, if this is all like, whoa, you're at a great disadvantage, aren't you? The devil's going to have a heyday with you, isn't he? He's going to eat your lunch, isn't he? See, so you need to understand these things that we're talking about. Shield of faith, quench all, not some or a few, but all the fire darts of the wicked one. Then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. And we talked about that last week. And then today, we're talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. And then verse 18 says, praying with all prayer and supplication and so forth. We'll talk about verse 18 next week when we talk about the lances of prayer and the different kinds of prayer. But today, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And of course, 
the thing that comes up is people will say, wait a minute, pastor, you just said that the, that the loin belt of truth was the word of God. But now the Bible says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Is there a contradiction? Absolutely not. The loin belt of truth is the what? The written word. The sword of the spirit is the spoken word. It's interesting when you look at Ephesians 6.17 in the Greek. Remember the New Testament was written in Greek. And I don't go into a bunch of deep Greek studies around here. But it is important that you understand just some simple things. And this is one of the things you need to understand. In the Greek, it talks about the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God. That Word for Word, W-O-R-D in the Greek, is the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And that means the spoken word. So in the Greek, if you were to read this in, in the Greek, very simply put, verse 17, Ephesians six seventeen says at the end there, it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. That's, what the Greek, that's how the Greek reads on that, the original text on, on the Bible here. It, it, the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The spoken, real loud say spoken word. Spoken word. So the... Loin belt of truth is the what? The written word. The sword of the spirit is the what? The spoken word. You understand that? And remember, if we had the picture of the soldier, and we've looked at it many times, but on the Roman soldier, he had that loin belt of truth. And on that loin belt, the sword was clipped to that loin belt. How many remember seeing that picture? I wish we had it today. We just don't, but we'll, we'll have it next week. But on the, belt of, uh, on the belt was clipped the what? The sword. And it's such great symbolism here because you see the sword of the spirit, the spoken word is hinged on or depending on the what? The written word. Did you get what I just said there? The spoken word, the spoken word, remember the sword of the spirit was clipped. The sword of the spirit, the, the sword was clipped to his loin belt. I'm taking a lot of time here. I want you to get it. The sword was clipped to the loin belt. And so the sword hung on, hinged on, depended on the belt, didn't it? Well, it's so true with the with with the what we're talking about the spiritual armor is the sword of the spirit hinges on the belt of truth you see you can't have the sword of the spirit unless you have the belt of truth you can't have the spoken word unless you have the written word you okay you get that okay now having said that you need to listen very carefully and again, just some simple Greek here. I don't like to get too deep into it because you lose folk. But, but you need to understand this. There are two Greek words used for the English word, word, W-O-R-D. In English, 
we've got one word for word, and it's word. Does that did you get you? That's a little. Did you get that? How many words do we like? Like love in the Greek, we in the English we got a word for love. In the Greek, they got several words for it. So in English, I might love my wife and I might love a hamburger, but it's two different kinds of love, isn't it? In the Greek, they got different words for love, see? But in English, we're limited. We just have the one word. So we might say, I like a hamburger and I love my wife. You know, that's how we kind of get around that. But in the Greek, there's two Greek words. We have one English word for word, and it's word. But in the Greek, there's two. There's logos and rhema. Logos and rhema. Now, I already told you what rhema was. It's the what? The spoken word, okay? But the Logos, let me tell you what that is. This is very important that you understand this. The Logos has to do with the total and complete inspired word of God. Now, the Logos, typically it's the written word. It technically could be the spoken word, but typically it's the written word. And it is without question... The belt, of, the belt of truth, okay? So Logos, L-O-G-O-S, just think of that as being the written word. Technically, it could be spoken, but, but it's the written word of God. Realize, say Logos, and, it, and that's the written word. You got that? And then there's the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And now listen here carefully. You got to get this now. I already told you rhema was what? The... But there's something more you need to understand. It's vital to this study. Now listen. Rhema has to do with the spoken word of God. More precisely, here's what a rhema is all about. It's a verse or portion of scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance and makes alive to us. The King James Bible says quicken. The word quicken means make alive. Okay? So, what a rhema word is, is it, it's, it's spoken all right, but it's more than that. It's when the Holy Spirit takes a portion of the Bible that we've studied, that we've read, that we've put into us, and the Holy Spirit brings that word, that written word to our remembrance, and he quickens it or he makes it alive, and when he quickens it or makes it alive or it just comes comes alive in us, that's what's called a rhema word. Can you say amen? So rhema, a rhema word is not just a spoken word, but it's it's when we take the logos, the written word, and we put it inside of us through studying, hearing, and so forth, right? We put that written word inside of us, and then we get into a battle with the devil, the devil throws something at us, and then the Holy Spirit, he quickens. What does the word quicken mean? Makes alive. Have you ever had, to, have you ever had that happen to you? Where, where you've studied the word, you know, maybe years gone by, and, and, and you put the word in you, and all of a sudden, sudden the devil hits you with something, and the Spirit of God just brings something that you maybe studied years back, or maybe you studied it yesterday, but it just, it just or maybe there's been times where you've read the word of God, and it didn't really you know, mean a lot to you, but then all of a sudden something comes up and that word just comes alive in you. Have you, have you ever had that happen to you? 
That's called a rhema. So rhema is the spoken word, but it, it, it's more than that. It's, it's a word from the written word that's come alive on the inside of you. It's come so real to you, and, and then it comes out of your mouth. That's rhema. That's, did, you, did you get that? Okay. So the logos is what? The written word. Rhema is the what? Spoken word. But rhema is more than that. It's when the logos comes what? Alive or quickens on the inside of you and then it comes out of your mouth and that is what is called a rhema word. Did you get that? Now it's it's very important because I really just described to you the sword of the spirit right there, how it works, but we'll say more about it. Go to John 14, 26. John 14, 26. Just our Lord Jesus uh, explains this to us here. And he says, the helper, John 14, 26, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And notice this next part's what I want you to get. And what? Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So doesn't that just sum up what I just said to you? So this, this, this Bible here, Genesis to Revelation, is what? Starts with an L. Logos, 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 however you say it, Logos, okay? And so you read it, you study it, you hear it, you know, you hear a preacher preaching it, you study it, and you get that on the inside of you, okay? That's Logos. But then when it comes alive, it comes out your mouth, it's a what? Okay? And, and a lot of times it's when the Holy Ghost... Have you ever studied something like years ago and you, you forgot about it, but all of a sudden you're in a battle and the Holy Ghost brought something to your remembrance? See, that, that's, that's rhema. You okay? And that's how the sword of the Spirit... You'll see that's, how, that's really the sword of the Spirit in action right there. Now, let me tell you this. The Roman soldiers... Remember when we studied their shields? How many shields did they have? We talked about it just a moment ago. Two. One was for ceremony and one was for battle. Okay. Well, guess how many swords they had? Typically five different swords. They didn't take all five of them into battle. They just had typically five swords available to them and it depended on the enemy they were facing of, as to which sword they would take. I didn't know that, did you? Some swords had very long blades and were extremely heavy and weighty. One of them was called the gladius sword. And it was called a two-handed sword. Do you know why it was called two? Now, not two-edged. It was the gladius was a two-handed sword. It was sharp on one side, dull on the other, but was real Real heavy, a two-handed sword. you know why they called it a two-handed sword? Because it was so big and heavy, it took, what, two hands to maneuver it. It was broad-shouldered and so forth, sharp on one side, dull on the other. And sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, would take that into battle. And as you study, and I'm not going to go through all five swords because they varied in the way they looked and performed. 
But of the five swords, there was one of them that was absolutely lethal and deadly. Now that gladius sword, I mean, if, if you caught a, an enemy just right with it, you could, you could kill him, but usually it wouldn't. But there was one of these five swords that was the most lethal and deadly. Now, are we wrestling against flesh and blood or are we wrestling against principalities and powers? Principalities and powers. Did Jesus already defeat them and put them under our feet? Yeah, but will they rear their ugly head once in a while? And isn't it nice to know that God has given us a piece of armory which is the most offensive piece. When I say offensive, you know what defense, offense, the most offensive piece of weaponry that we have. And when the devil sticks his head out from under our feet, we've got the sword of the spirit to whack him and put him back under there. One of these five swords was lethal and deadly. And that's the one that the apostle Paul likened the sword of the spirit to. And in the Greek, it's called a makariha. That's how you say it in Greek. How do you like my Greek pronunciation? Makariha. That's how you would say it. it was the makariha sword, the sword of the spirit. It was by far, it was by far the most lethal of the five swords. It was only, now listen to this. It was only about 19 inches long and it was razor sharp and it was razor sharp on both sides. Two-edged sword, that's what, two-edged sword, razor sharp on both sides. And this one struck fear in the enemy. It could rip the enemy's insides to shreds. This sword was known as the slaughter knife. You say, Pastor Terry, that's awfully gruesome. That, why are we, why did you show that picture of those guys, get, that guy get hit with those arrows? Why are you talking about this? I'm talking about this because the devil wants to kill you. He doesn't want to just put a little cold on you. He wants to kill you. He wants to put cancer on you and watch your body rot, rot. He wants to put that on your children. The devil's not nice. Do you understand that? The devil comes to what? Steal? kill and to destroy. Is that right? He's not a nice individual. And that's why God has given us this armory to stand against the wiles of the devil. We taught you what the wiles of the devil are. We talked about all these things. And so this, this makariha, this, 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 that's the Greek word for it. And Paul used that Greek word, the same, the same word that the soldier, Roman soldiers carried, this, this, this 19-inch-long razor-sharp-on-both-sides knife. It was, it was known as the slaughter knife. And a, and a Roman soldier could stick that into the enemy and twist it the way it was made, twist it, and rip, their, rip the guy's sides in. Rip, rip his stomach open and all the in, his insides would come. That's a ter- terrible thing. But see, that's what the devil wants to do to you. How many of you know we ought to be doing that to the devil, not him doing that to us? Is that right? Now, it, it's interesting, kind of a funny story. You, you, probably, you probably won't. Hopefully they'll get this. But I, was in a, I work, grew up in a golf course out at Hidden Valley in the golf pro. You'd have to know him. He was quite a character. And... Uh, 
just just growing up with him and just all sorts of things. A very funny man, good guy. He had independent vision. So when you look at him, his one eye would go this way and the other eye would go that way. And so when you talk to him, you'd have to kind of go around until you figure it out. You didn't look at the wandering eye. You look at the eye that's... And that's why it was such a good putter because he could have his his one eye on the ball and the other eye on the hole and, and he's a great putter. It's a true story. And we'd sit in the office and he'd take his fly swatter and he'd put the fly swatter in. The, we'd sit in the pro shop when nobody was in there. And he called himself the f- fastest swat in the West. I mean, he'd draw on those flies and I guess it was that independent vision. He, Anyway, so just a funny individual. But we got in a discussion one time about, I don't know, we'd get into all these different discussions when people weren't in there. And we, would you, If you're going into a fight, would you rather have a baseball bat or a little screwdriver? And I said, as a young kid, I said, baseball bat. He said, no way. He said, are you crazy? He said, you don't want to take a baseball bat into a fight. He said, I'll take that little screwdriver every single time. And I said, no way. I said, I'll take that baseball bat. He said, bet me. He said, I'm taking the little screwdriver. I said, no, I'm taking the baseball bat. How many of you would think you'd take the baseball bat? Well, after all these years, I wouldn't take the baseball bat. He was right. I was wrong. And here's what he told me. He said, with the baseball bat, you got one swing. And if you don't take me out with that one swing, and I can get in there close to you with that little screwdriver, he said, I'll tear you up. And you know, it's, it's the honest truth. And I've studied warfare over the years. Don't take the baseball bat. Don't take the gladius sword into a fight, just that big, long sword. You want to take... That Macaria, that little one. And you know, this this 4th century Roman historian said this, and it's so good, his name was Vegetus. Vegetus, he said this, because he studied the Roman warfare, and he said this. He said, a blow with a large sword seldom killed. But a stab which penetrates only two inches was generally fatal. He said this, it's, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, it's not the sweeping action of the sword that kills, but the stabbing action. Interesting, isn't it? You only would have to penetrate somebody two, two inches, and often that would kill them. You say, why, 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 why are we not supposed to be talking about violence in the church? The devil wants to kill you. So, that, so if you're attending, visiting here today, I normally don't talk like this. We're supposed to walk in love, aren't we? But, our, but we're not talking here about dealing with one another. Who are we talking about dealing with today? The devil. And so you want to rip that sucker up every which way you can. Is that right? Yes or no? Okay. You understand that. And so that's why we're talking like this. And so if you had that, 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 little, that little 19-inch blade and you start stabbing people, you're going to wreak more havoc on them than if you had that big long sword, you see. So, now listen, now say, how does this apply to the Bible? Listen to this. Many Christians mistakenly think they have to memorize large portions of the Bible before they can use the sword of the Spirit. But many people mistakenly think that. I know I used to think that. I used to think, well, I have to memorize the large portions of the Bible, or I need to know so much about the Bible. How many of you know you don't need to know? Now, you should study the Bible. You should get to know as much of it as you can. But you need to realize you don't need to know the entirety of the Bible for you to be effective with the sword of the Spirit. 
Did you get what I just said? You see, now listen to this. Rhema words from the Lord are usually not very long. It's interesting. Listen to this. The sword of the Spirit, we said it was like that, that, that makaria, that little short 19-inch long knife. It was very small, but it was deadly. We see this in the Bible as well. You know, God would speak to someone. As you study the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, God would speak to someone throughout the Bible, different people, fairly brief words. You don't really see God giving long, big, long words of long directions to people, usually very brief, short directions. And the person would step out on that brief word of direction and wonderful things would happen. It's interesting, the Virgin Mary. Has anybody ever heard of the Virgin Mary? Well, God sent Gabriel and gave her what we know to be eight verses. And she responded... And said, let it be done to me according to your word. Think of it. Eight verses. Eight verses. How many? Eight verses. Just eight. Not a whole chapter. Not a whole book. Not a whole three or four books. Eight verses. She said yes. And we got Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I said, isn't that wonderful? So you don't need to, you, you, I think that's wonderful. You don't, you don't have to, you, you ought to memorize as much of the Bible as you can. You ought to read as much as you can. You ought to study as much as you can. But see, a lot of people think that you have to know the whole thing in order to be effective with the sword of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, if you just know some verses is better than nothing. Is that right? You know, the Bible's likened unto water, isn't it? How many of you know a, a five-minute shower sure beats nothing? I know I've come in from being absolutely filthy dirty from cutting grass, and I'll go in the shower, and five minutes, I'm ready to come to church. Is it, is it, yeah. See, you don't need to stand in the shower for eight hours. Is that right? Just five minutes will, will work wonders. Same thing with the Bible. You don't need to now get in it as much as you can, but, but listen, you don't have to study the Bible eight hours a day to be effective. You, you, you could study the Bible. Wouldn't, wouldn't five minutes be better than nothing? Wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? And so you don't have to. A lot of people are looking for these long words of direction and, from God. To, no, God, he gave Mary how many verses? Eight verses. She said yes, and we got Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. He didn't usually give long, drawn-out directions to people. He'd tell somebody, stand up, a crippled person, to stand up. Now, that's not real long direction, is it? Stand up. And they'd stand up. He'd say, stretch forth your hand. They'd stretch forth their hand and be healed. Isn't that wonderful? He'd tell them to go wash in the pool. You know, God's not asking us to do a lot of hard stuff. Just simple, simple. He'd say, go wash in the pool. Or he'd say, go and sin no more. Or he'd say, he'd say, fear not. Or he'd say, remember Peter. He told him, he said, come. And what happened? Peter walked out on the water. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Lazarus laying dead in, a, dead in the tomb. Right? He said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, that's not a big, long direction. Is that right? And Lazarus came forth. See, a lot of times the devil will... will tra- he, remember we taught you, he tries to play mind games with us. And, and, and he'll get us to thinking that we have to know lots of scripture to be effective. No, if you'll just know just some Bible and you'll just step out on what you do know, you can be very effective for the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Now... Let me say this. 
now, if you went into the book of Revelation, I'm not going to take the time now, but you would see that a lot of times Jesus, several occasions, when John saw him, symbolically, he would see something coming out of Jesus' mouth. And it was what? A sharp, two-edged sword. One time he just said it was a sword. One time he likened it to that gladius-type sword. And then sometimes he'd, he'd talk about the two-edged sword. It's interesting, Jesus made these statement. He made this statement when he was here on the earth. And he said this, he said, he said, the words I speak to you, he's talking to his disciples. He said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So when words, and are we created in the likeness and image of God? So, so Jesus' words were spirit, but you know our words are also spiritual words. We're talking about the sword of the spirit. Our words are spiritual things, aren't they? Now, now I think this is a good thing to say. Talking about the sword of the spirit is our word, words that come out of our mouth. Now, if you're having trouble relating to this sermon, I'm going to give you something that I think you can relate to. Every one of us in here. Sometimes people think, well, sword of the spirit. And words coming out my mouth. And, and they scratch their head. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all this scratching your head away. I'm going to give you an example that all of us can relate to. Have you ever been cut to shreds by somebody's words? Yes or no? You filthy, no good, dirty, good for nothing. You'll never be nothing. You've never been nothing. You'll never amount to a thing. Now, that's an example. Were those kind words or unkind? Did they, now if you, now I'm just using you as an example because it's not true. But that's what the devil will do. And that's what people will do. You know, if dealing with the devil was all we had to do with, deal with, it would be pretty simple. You know what's hard is when the devil influences people to move against us. See, Paul said as he wrote, he said, Satan hindered us. But you know, Satan himself, that would have been the easiest thing in the world for Paul to deal with Satan. But it's when Satan used other people. The Bible said he'd stirred up the prominent people in the city and the, and the prominent ladies and some of the prominent men. See, because God won't affect and intervene and deal with the wills of people. Is that right? So if the devil can get people to come against you, that's a much more difficult thing than if the devil hits you just directly. Because you can tell the devil, get back under my feet. Boom. But when he's got people involved against you, that's very difficult. But let's go back to this words thing. I just cut you up with my words. Now, he's not those things I just said. He's a wonderful young man. Say amen. I'm so proud of this young man, okay? But I'm just telling you, what did I do? I just cut you up with my words. I wish I could throw a baseball the way you do. Man, this guy is just, he's a fine young man. I love him to pieces. But you see, what did I do? I cut him up. I wish I'd have never married you. You just are the most, I just, there were so many other women I could have had. I just, you just ruined my life. Now, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Huh? I heard a lady say this to a man one time and not. 
You're the greatest. I love you. You, you know what? But you see, people, a lot of times, you talk about the sword of the Spirit, and they're scratch. They don't. But now, all of a sudden, we get it. Can we take our words and cut people to shreds? Yes or no? Absolutely. I gave you two examples, didn't I? I heard a lady one time tell her husband this, and she meant it. She was baking biscuits, and he did something and detained her, and, and the biscuits burned, and I'll never forget it. She looked at him, and she screamed at him and said to him, he, he, she said this, she said, you ruined my biscuits just like you ruined my life. Now, do you see how we can take our words and cut people up? And, I, and this is my wife. I love you, and without you, I would I would be a mess. Okay, so greatest wife in the world. But do you see how you can take your words and cut people up? Yes or no? So that's what we're supposed to do, not to Brian, who's a fine young man, or not to my wife, who's a wonderful lady. We're not supposed to use our words to cut people. We're supposed to use our words to cut the devil and demonic power. Did you get what I just said? Wasn't that a good example? Because you could, you could see. Now, now go if you would. Uh, let's go to Hebrews. Of, I'm almost done here. Just give me a few more minutes. Hebrews 4.12. Let's go there in the King James. Hebrews 4.12. Are you getting anything out of this? Hebrews 4.12. This actually shows us the process of how the sword of the Spirit works. I've already given it to you, but let, let's look at it here. You see, the Bible, the written word of God, the Logos, and actually I like to say it like this. Really, if you study into it, the Logos is really sharp. This is like the sword, the big heavy gladius that's sharp on one side. Now, now listen, the word of God is the sword of the spirit, all right? But this is like the gladius. It's, it's Genesis to Revelation. It's long, it's big, it's heavy, it's weighty, it's wonderful, right? And I liken this logos to the one, the, the sword that's big and sharp on one side. And it gets down on the inside of us. And I like it when that word, see that, that logos, when it goes in with that one side, it'll cut things out of us that need to be cut out. It gets on the inside of our spirits. And then the devil attacks us. He comes out from underneath our feet and the spirit of God quickens or makes alive a logos, a written word. And then all of a sudden that word comes out of our mouth and it gains another side to it and it goes in as a one-sided sword and it comes out us in faith, out our words as a two-sided sharp 19-inch sword that the devil sticks his head out and we just start poking him in the head with the word of God. Yes or no? With our words. We should do with our words to the devil what I did to Brian and my wife just a moment ago. The devil starts coming at you and talking to you about 
you know, oh, you missed it there. You're probably going to go to hell. No, you say, no, I'm not going to hell. I repented. I confessed my sin. Jesus, forgive give me my sin. But Satan, let me tell you what. You're going in the bottomless pit. You're going to be there a thousand years. You're going to get out for just a little little season. But then you're going in the lake of fire where you're going to burn and be tormented forever. And you know what? He'll just duck his head right back under your feet because he don't want to listen to that. What did I do? I just cut him up with the uh, word of God. That's what you need to do. You need to look at Hebrews 4.12. Now look at this. I want you to get this. It says, for the word of God, that word in the Greek for word is logos. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any what? Two-edged sword. Now, and we could read the rest of the verse, but let's just stop right here. It starts out as logos, that word for the word logos. That's the written word. When does it become quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? Well, that word two-edged, now listen to this. You ought to write this down if you're taking note. Two-edged, in the Greek, it reads like this. It's a two-mouthed sword. We're allowed to say two-mouthed. That's really what that means. In two-edged, in the Greek, it's two-mouthed. And that word for sword is that makaria. It's that sharp 19-inch blade. So it's interesting in this one verse, you start out with the logos. You start out with that big, long sword that I believe is sharp just on one side. And it goes inside of you. And it go, as it goes inside of you, it cuts, out the, it cuts out the junk, the judgmental attitudes and the bad attitudes and the, the gossipiness and the telling lies or whatever it is that you deal with. It, cuts, it works on that as, it, as you study the word, as it goes in, it cuts, that, it, it cuts that out of you. Can you say amen? So it goes in you. And then the Spirit of God will quicken it, make it alive. And, and it, 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 this two-edge really means two-mouthed. I like what one preacher said. He said this. He said, the Word of God was spoken so it could be written. And it was written so it could be spoken. And he calls that mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I think Mark Hankins calls it that. And it's really good. See, God, the Father, spoke every word, the Son and the Holy Ghost. They spoke every word of this book. And the Word of God was spoken by God so it could be written. And then he had holy men write what he spoke, so it was spoken by God so it could be written, and then it was written so it could be spoken by us, and then it's called what? Mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So in Hebrews 4.12, what happens is the word, the logos, goes into us as that one-sided that one-sided sword, and then the Spirit of God will quicken it, and it becomes sharp, and it becomes powerful. When does it become two-edged? When does it become two-edged? It becomes two-edged when we speak it out of our mouth. It goes in as a one-sided sharp sword, but it comes out of our mouth in faith as that two-edged sword. Can you say amen? As that macaria, that 19-inch blade that just when the devil sticks his head out, we start talking to him, we start talking. Don't ever get into a conversation with the devil. All you do to the devil is you say, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you just stab him with, it is written, and he'll stick his ugly head right back under your feet. Can you say amen? Or we could say another way, resist the devil and he'll what? Flee if you're submitted to God. Can you say amen? Did you get that? See, that's how the sword of the Spirit operates. You put in the one-sided sword, 
You read it, you study it, you hear it. It goes in, the Spirit of God as needed quickens it, and it goes in a one-sided sword, that big long sword, and then the Spirit of God quickens it. Whatever the need is, the devil hits you with sickness or lack or whatever it is, and those scriptures come alive. They come out your mouth as a two-edged sword, praise God, and slices the devil up. Can you say amen? I want you to get, did you get that? Did you get that? I, I, I hope you got that. See, the devil is a spirit being. Is that right? So if the devil were to appear right here, right now, and I took this Bible, have you ever heard somebody say, we're going to hit him with the word? Well, if the devil appeared right here and I swung this book at him, he's a spirit being. This book is a, it's, it's a physical book. You, am I going to hurt the devil? Now, if I hit my wife, wham! Anybody get nervous? But could I hurt her with this? Yeah, but 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 if a spirit being, you swing at the spirit being, you're not going to... The, the devil's not afraid of this book when it's in written form like this. When does the devil become afraid of this book? He becomes afraid of this book when it becomes the, that Macaria. He becomes afraid of it when it, you get it down on the inside of you and then it starts coming out of your mouth in faith and you start acting on it. That's when he becomes afraid of it and that's when it becomes the sword of the Spirit and that will set the devil on the run. Can you say amen? He don't care if the devil don't care if you have 27 Bibles in your house as long as you don't ever read them and speak it or do it. He don't care. You don't need 27 Bibles. If you just get one Bible and just read a little bit of it, let it get in your heart, and then start coming out your mouth, you start acting on it, that sort of spirit starts, the devil will get, he'll get scared out of his wits. Can you say amen? And, you know, Matthew eight sixteen. it's interesting. If you look at that real quick, I'm out of time. But if you look at Matthew eight sixteen. Notice that as you read, it said, When evening come, they brought many to him who were demon-possessed, and Jesus put on his boxing gloves and beat, beat the devil out of people. Does it say that? What did he cast the devils out with, or demons out with? With his what? He cast them out with his what? With his what? With his words. Do you see that? Do you see that or not? Did, did, did Jesus take somebody and start beating the person to try to beat the devil out of them? How did he do it? He did it with his... What's the devil afraid of? Is he afraid of this physical book? No, he's afraid of this book when it gets in your heart and comes out your mouth in faith. You okay? And I could go on and on and on. Didn't Jesus tell us in Mark eleven twenty three? He said, Assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believes whatever he says will be done, he'll have whatever he what? Says. Is that right? So our words are spiritual, our words are spirit. They our words the power of life and death is in the tongue. Our our words can bring such life to people, and our words can bring such now, which would be better, what I said to him a while ago or say, Brian, you're a fine young man, you're a great guy, I love you to pieces and, you know, just build him on up, you know. Which would be better, see, what I just said there. So you could take your words and wreak havoc or you could take your words and bring great blessing. I tell you what, let's use our tongues to bless people and use our tongues to rip the devil to shreds. What do you say?
Is that right? And I was going to read it, but I'm out of time. But, you know, do you know where the greatest picture of spiritual battle perhaps is in the Bible? It's when Jesus was tempted those 40 days of the wilderness. And at the end of that 40 days, he was hungry and the devil came to him and began to quote. You know, the devil can quote scripture. Is that right? And you can read it there in, in Matthew and Luke's account. Will you re- look it up some other time? But when the devil came at Jesus, what did we quoted a moment ago, but we'll say it now again. What did he do? It is. So what was he doing? Taking that macaria and speaking the word, just jabbing the devil with the Right? It is written. Did Jesus quote the whole Bible to him? Could Jesus have quoted the whole Bible? Oh, yeah, he's a word made flesh. But he didn't. He just, just you know... It is written, it is written, it is written. And then Jesus would just, I think he used three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was he doing? Taking his word and stabbing the devil. Is that right? It is what it is written. It is written. And you could read that when, when the devil was tempting him. The devil, did you know the devil was playing mind games with Jesus? Do you know that? And was twisting the word just like the devil always does. And there's a little truth in it, but there's lie in it too. Is that right? But Jesus knew the word. And I believe the spirit of God was working on the inside of the Lord Jesus. Because in the earth, he, though he was God, he operated not as God, but as a man anointed with the Holy Ghost. And so he depended on the spirit of God. And the spirit of God had quickened those words to him. And he just just stab the devil with those but he did it was jesus literally taking and stabbing him no he was doing what speaking the word did you get anything out of this today so in summary take this book get it inside your heart and then let the spirit of god quicken it and then declare it out of your mouth in faith and that's when the logos becomes rhema that's when the written word the belt of truth becomes and turns into the sword of the spirit and then i tell you what you could just slice the devil up and cut him every which way 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 possible amen you okay stand with me if you would i hope you got this I hope you got it. If you're here today with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The only way to miss hell and make heaven is to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And 